Welcome back to the Get Unstuck and On Target podcast. I'm Mike O'Neill with Bench Builders. And with executive coaching and people skills training, we help companies solve the nagging people problems that are slowing their growth. Joining me today is Matt Goosey. Matt is the president of MRS Machining. He and his wife, Vicki, owned a company that was started in 1986 in Matt's father's garage. Since their company has been recognized by American Machinist Magazine as a top 10 machine shop in the nation. Over the last 30 years, Matt has had to deal with economic downturns, losing both parents, and COVID. Today, we're going to be talking a bit less about machine shop matters and more about running a family business, its challenge and rewards. Welcome, Matt. Well, I'm glad to be here. Matt, when we spoke earlier, I was interested in speaking to you on multiple levels. The fact that one, um, you are directly tied into manufacturing as a manufacturer, probably serving manufacturing. You've been doing this for over 30 years. What changes have you seen in manufacturing in that time frame? Oh, man, <laughs> there's a lot of changes, but I think the most is um, technology. Or it seemed like when I first started, there was just certain things. There was like small, you could like put everything in your hand. Now there's so much technology. It's, you're chasing it and you got to keep up with it. If you don't, you fall behind it. We're in the real hurry. You know, my um, sense is that your industry in particular has been positively impacted by technology, that it's, it's very much uh, an exact science that you're trying to do when you're machining parts for your clients. Yeah, it's the machine, machining ain't just machining no more. I mean, a machinist these days is, is like several different things. You know, you're a science chemist, you're an engineer. Um, you gotta, <laughs> the motions have to get into it because things always don't go right. You're always under a lot of pressure. So it's, it's, it's very, you know, that's, it's very demanding and it's, and I just think it, but it's rewarding, you know, when you make something and then take this big chunk of metal or plastic or whatever you're, you're machining and turn it into a form and art, and you know, it's going into something that can save people's lives or, or you know, that helps people drive to work or help raise food. It, it's, it can be very rewarding. Yes. You know, Matt, I came up through manufacturing, whereas I went to work for small companies that got much bigger. And as they got bigger, there was a tendency to bring things in-house that was normally outsourced. Um, how in the world in the last 30 years have y'all been able to kind of maintain a position such that companies still come to you, even though they might have the capacity to bring that capability in-house? I think the number one thing is trying to find skilled help. Um, it's, it's, you know, the, the need for machining or manufacturing is going up and, uh, the people coming in in this trade or manufacturing is actually going down quite a bit. So it's a lot easier to, you know, to design, you can find a lot of engineers and stuff. It's a little easier to find and design a product, but manufacturing, there's so many ups and downs and variables. If, you know, if you make bad parts or you don't get material, there's so much inconsistency where it's, it's a lot easier just to order something and it shows up <laughs> and it, you know, I'm, it may be cost a little bit more, but in the long run, it may be a lot less. Um, you know, we always got to know your true cost of, because if you don't, it could, you know, let's say I, 
you have a great machinist or two, and then all of a sudden they leave. Well, now you're going to try to fill that. And that doesn't happen overnight. I mean, it takes months to get someone up to that caliber. So I think if you have a, you know, most of our customers now are switching that way. They're going more to just design and assemble and have someone else do all the manufacturing because, you know, we do whatever else we're good at what we do. And we just do strictly machining. We don't do welding or shearing or fabricating and because we're not frankly good at it. So we just stick to what we're good at. And, you know, there's a lot of people that's like are good at a lot of different things and it's better to tap into that resource and and know that knowledge and get your parts good and then instead of struggling yourself and your costs are uncontrollable. Yeah, I've heard the expression, stick to your knitting. In this case, you as a company have decided to stick to machining. Um, might it have been tempting when a client comes to you and asks you to do something to take on things that are not necessarily, how did you choose consistently to turn away business that was not part of your core? Well, I learned that in the early stages, we had a customer of ours that we were doing a lot of machining for, and uh, they talked us into doing wire harnesses and I knew nothing about wire harnesses. You know, I got the diaphragm and I thought it was just cutting some wire and putting some ends. And that's really how it started. It started easy, but it got very, very difficult towards the end. And boy, we struggled and, and my, my dad was still around and he was kind of like his pet peeve. He kind of liked it and had interest in it. And we hired a bunch of people, but you know, we didn't have the automation of a braiding machine and we didn't have the, the, the technology engineering of reading the blueprint and trying to figure out electrical connectors and all that. So we ended up selling that. And that's when I decided, you know what, dad, it's just stick to what we're good at. Cause that, that was just, uh, every day that was more of a pain to deal with that. You know, it took my time away from what we're, we're good at. So that's when I, that's where I learned my lesson. Over the years, I've had the opportunity to work for family-owned businesses, some of which grew to be much, much larger, and it lost that family feel. Your your dad started the business. I, technically, I think your wife owns the business, and y'all run a family business. What have been some of the challenges of being in a family business that y'all have experienced? As far as family goes, you know, me and my dad were like, most days we were best friends, but then there was, you know, the problem is we're both machinists. So we both had, you know, I always say there's a worn one way to skin a cat. <laughs> and, um, so we would have differences, you know, he wanted it made this way and I wanted it made that way. And he was more from the manual. He didn't know the computer side of it. So he was more thinking that way. Well, I'm thinking I know computers and I know how to get a little faster way of doing things. And so we ended up, you know, we didn't always go to bed, leave work happy at each other, but we always somehow every night we called each other before we went to bed and said, we're sorry, it's tomorrow's a new day. Hmm. But that was probably my biggest struggle. And then my mom, you know, she was that time was the, the president of the company. And so here's my mom, you know, she's like, here's her son, here's her husband. Who does she stand up for or she pick hmm. for Mm. So it created a lot of stress. My wife was involved in a little bit. That's she did more of that wire harnessing thing. So, um, but so, you know, we kind of, that, uh, that was just, you know, I'd always say don't hire family and friends. And I think there's, there's a lot of truth to that, but if you manage it right and just start out with, you know, and 
talk about it and before it happens and, you know, create some rules before you hire someone from family and then it's not as bad, but it, it's tough. It's a struggle. Mm. Um, so. You know, Matt, you mentioned um, hiring and I, I hear it also often how difficult it is to find a quality talent. Does that apply to your business as well? Yeah. I, you know, I think every business is, ha has that happen, but you know, so my best recruiters here are the people that work for me. Mm -hmm. And, you know, kind of the rest takes care of itself. You know, we're very fortunate here that, you know, it just, we have a good, we, that family is always going to be here. That I will not change that. That family philosophy has to stay. And if it's not, you know, it's like I tell people, you know, when they come work here, you know, I want three things. I want you here. You want to be here. We're going to have fun. When that ever changes, we got to sit on talk and probably 99% of the time, if it does come to a conversation, it's cleared up right then and there. But, you know, there's some people that just want to kind of come to a big company, be a number and be left alone and just do their thing. Or that's not really the place for us. We're here. We get everybody involved. We have an open book. We show people the numbers, where we're going, where we're heading. If we're on track, we're off track, what we got to do to get better, or what we did good. And, you know, one person wins, we all win. And, you know, every month we have cookouts and, you know, we have, we have snack days, Tuesdays and Thursdays. So. And then right now during the summer, we have ice cream treats and we just, you know, we have, um, we have a picnic, we have Christmas parties and, you know, most people here are here more than they are with their families. So, you know, not every day is a tropical paradise and it never will be, but, you know, you just have to, if you can't, I always tell people, if you can't um, measure it, you can't manage it. So those are some of the key things we try doing here. You know, you mentioned having fun and you gave some examples of having fun. Uh, I too often find that in business, we get so wrapped up, we forget to enjoy ourselves, that we forget the importance of celebrating success because always it's the new challenge. You know, Matt, you mentioned a moment ago that you're kind of an open book. Can you elaborate a little bit on that? Is that something that's always been the case or is that something that's been introduced during your time? Um, no, that's probably started about mm, back in 15, 16, after my dad passed away. Um, so when my dad did pass away, I, you know, uh, you can prepare for that, but it, <laughs> it hit me like a wall, like a brick. I ran into a brick wall and I, I couldn't even walk in here for three months and, mm. But, and I came back and the place was still running. It was actually running better than when I left. So I'm like, whoa, okay. I, so back in my mind, I had that. I always wanted to do something back to help thank him. And, and my dad was still alive. He was always trying to, we were always trying to turn it into an e-stop business. And mm -hmm. it just never materialized or it didn't work out the way we wanted it to. So I wanted people to feel like this place was just as much theirs as it is mine. Yes. So how can we do that? Well, obviously if you're a business owner, you you reap the benefits, you get the profits and you can grow your wealth with it. So I wanted to, decided to, we decided to give 40% of the profit back to the folks. So that's when we start posting numbers of how much every quarter, every month we post a number, Hey, we made this much money. We lost this much money. Um, here's our scrap number. You know, we lost this and we had this much bad and scrap, or we didn't have any scrap. So everybody has those key numbers. So if it affects my pocketbook, it's just affecting theirs. And it just seemed to everybody started carrying. And the first thing I noticed was the productivity that 
it was 20, went up 20%. We got 20% of them out the door more. And Goodness. yeah, I mean, I was amazing because now everybody's making money. And then, you know, the, the quality, we never really had a quality problem, but it, it was more, it just seemed that it, it went down a little bit more. People mm. like paid more attention that, you know, we scrap apart, throw it away. It was another piece of material that, that kind of, that all kind of went away. It just got things dialed in in the communication, you know, when they went from first shift to second shift, the communication was better. So you just didn't walk out the door and kind of leave the guy hanging. And the next thing you know, he scraps apart. So that kind of changed a little bit too. And, you know, every month we have meetings here for the whole, you know, we have full shifts gets together. Matter of fact, today is one of them. And we just go over the numbers and here's where we're at. Here's where we're going. Here's our new, you know, some new business. Here's some business that we lost. And so everybody's on the same page. So there's no surprises. I know I don't like surprises. Those are only for Christmas and birthdays. <laughs> well, and speaking of birthdays, we give everybody their birthday off here. So. That's always a bonus. So everybody's recognized, we recognize their birthday. And I used to give away a subway card and a balloon, but we decided, well, we'll just give you the day off. And uh, that seemed to go over well, real well. You know, with my HR background, I'm just smiling, listening to all the things that, that have been decided to do. And what you found was the employees probably appreciate a day off, not that they don't like coming to work, but a day off is giving something back to them um, far more. And the fact that you are having these employee meetings, you said something a moment ago that caught my attention, and that is communication improved between the shifts. Um, are you implying that those leaving have a vested interest to hand off to those who are coming in such that it's a smooth transition, that productivity is not negatively impacted, quality is not impacted? Is that kind of what you're seeing has happened? Yeah. You know, they would, you know, to the, the say they get off at three, they're out the door. You know, when all the guys were staying five or 10 minutes later, just to make sure everything was, that communication tool was great. And then, um, you know, we also developed some stuff internally that we wanted to make it better. We, um, we have computer cells in all our work cells areas and, you know, we, we could always document those notes and it would be on their screen just in case the guy came in later, his car broke down or dentist appointment, you never know what happens, but it was on the screen and, you know, like me, I don't have good handwriting. And if I wrote a note, I wouldn't be, they probably wouldn't be able to read it. So we could just go over the computer real quick and the note would be on their screen and the guy could come in his work area and could see it. And he had work instructions. And so that, that was things that we developed just to make things flow better. And through that, we can, um, we can actually stay in our work areas because now we can talk with all the different areas. You know, we can talk to our shipping, we can talk to our saw department, we can talk to our QC, you know, if we're not making a time, we can talk to our inside sales or we can talk to our managers and it's just, and it's all saved. It's, it doesn't go nowhere. We just, it automatically slaves in our system every night. Hmm. You know, I, in the introduction, shared some information about you that might to the listener be kind of private, but you're pretty open about that. The fact that you just shared how devastating the loss of your father was and that it was not hours. It was not days. It was not weeks. It was actually months yep. um, that um, you're acknowledging. Do you feel that as a leader, that that willingness to be open regarding not just the financials, but to be open about these kind of matters, do you think that makes a difference in your ability as a leader? 
Oh yeah. Because everybody's on the same page, you know, you know, <laughs> it's not, not, we're not hiding nothing. And you know, it's, you know, if someone just bought a new car, a new truck or how, whatever, they want to make sure they have that stability that they're going to have a job. And mm -hmm. if, if you don't get that information out, well, they're questioning it. And then all of a sudden it gives them an excuse to maybe go look somewhere else. And we don't want that. We want people, to, once you join a team, we want you here to stay in the team because you know what, to replace an employee with knowledge and stuff, I mean, it's, it's, you know, it costs ten fifteen thousand dollars $15,000 just to hire on a new person. And people are like, well, that can't be, well, then now you start talking about, you got to have two people in the cells. You got to train for a couple of weeks and you got to have in onboarding and there's two weeks of pay right there that really don't make a profit off them. And it, it was just, you know, and every employee I have here, it generates about $300,000 in revenue. And all of a sudden, you know, that, per, that new person ain't going to be able to do that right away. I, I mean, you can, unless you clone them and, <laughs> and it, it's just everybody, every company and every customer of ours is different. We, there's nobody the same. And that's, that's one thing that's, it's strange about this industry. You think we'd all be somewhat same, but we're, we're all a little different. Everybody does things a little bit different, but Hey, that works for them. You know, it's, it's not like a hospital. It's not like a hospital has more procedures and everything's kind of the same, but manufacturing, there's just so much there's everything's different. You know, some people still want like, for example, finance it. Some people still want to write a check. Some people want HCH. Some people want to pay credit card. Oh, it's all over the place. You know, you shared earlier a little bit about some of the, the challenges and rewards of, of owning a business, sharing ownership with the employees. Can you share an example where perhaps either you or your company got stuck and what did it take to get unstuck? Um, I think, oh, well, I think probably the biggest, I mean, we went through so many, I mean, there's, there's so many ups and downs. I mean, the first one, I guess was in 2000 when we moved to, into a new building mm. and that's when all our computers were going to crash in 2000. Yes. So they didn't get unstuck, but we, we planned for it and it never happened, but that's better. And then 9-11 hit, you know, that kind of, we weren't diversified quite enough. And then when 07, 08 hit, you know, the financial, that got really scary. That was probably the worst, scariest time besides another time. But I always joined a peer group back then. And that's kind of what helped me through this because there always, we had to have a plan and our goal. And I said, well, my goal is going to be get through recession. Everybody thought I was crazy, but I wanted to have a plan and some point, something in my back of my mind that I could get through recession, you know, well, I don't know, seven or eight yet that, that saved the day. You know, we, we, we had a plan now when COVID hit, that's all, we didn't have a plan for that, but what things we learned from, but the hardest thing that we, I went through personally, was when my dad passed away, you know, I was more of the sales and machine shop front door and he was more of the front you know, financials and the human resource. And he had a, we have a manager here. Well, that also got dropped in my, my, basically in my lap. And we yes. thought we had planned for it, but we didn't plan for it. Shame on me, shame on whatever, but it happened. And, you know, so you just can't sit there and you spill milk. You can't cry over. You got to pick it up and move on. And, and I had a friend of my dad's that, who I thought was a friend who was a business consultant and, and <laughs> which I thought was could come in and help me. And he, he talked a smooth talk and, 
maybe I guess if anybody's out there listening, before you sign something, get some legal advice. When you got a contract that's about ten pages long, just don't mm. trust somebody. Mm-hmm. Get some legal advice because I signed it, and then the guy came in and he was a total snouser. His goal was to um, get me out of here and try to put us in bankruptcy so he could turn around and buy it in ten cents in the dollar. Um, but it, my what goodness, it came, yeah, it, it wasn't good, and um. He always kept telling me everybody hated me here and didn't like me here. And finally, you know, it really bothered me. I'm just like, I've been in this for 25 years or whatever it's been. And I came in one day at about 11 o'clock and there was a guy running the machine and I went up to him and he said, you all right, man? I said, no, actually I'm not all right. Cause what's the matter? I says, why does everybody hate me here? And he kind of stepped back and looked at me and he said, hate you. He says, the only reason people stay here, man, is because of you. Hmm. That's when the light went off. And mm. <laughs> a few days later, he was no longer here, which turned into him suing me. And I got my $150,000 education. <laughs> well, I appreciate you sharing uh, that. That's another illustration of hard lessons learned. You know, people ask, Mike, what do you do? And if I use the word consultant, there's a little bit of dubiousness, but people like that give consulting obviously a bad name um but you all obviously have weathered that um very well uh matt you mentioned a few minutes ago about being part of a peer group i'd like to kind of learn a little bit more is this a peer group of other business leaders that come together yeah at that time it was called um tab it was called the alternative board stood for and i would know i was a manufacturing we had a um like a plumber in there we had a electrician we had a concrete guy a water care um, company we, and then we had a facilitator probably like you mm -hmm. and then we'd always bring a special guest like we would have our attorney we would have a financial planner come in and they're popping out of the meetings but we had 30 minutes to talk about our problems and then we also had to come up with some solutions or we take i take advice from them board members and then the facilitator would come down here once a month for three or four hours and make sure he's holding me accountable that what the board suggested then that I'm getting done. And that's kind of how, I mean, I did that for two or three years. And it, to me, it was, it really is what's kind of helped save MRS. Was it cheap? No, but was it worth it? Yeah. It, it, you know, I mean, it, I learned, I mean, I can't really put a, a payback or I couldn't write it down a plan, but I knew it helped. It helped. Yes. I mean, it got me through a recession. It got me through a financial crisis. So that I mean, that's, that's, that's all I needed to, you know, that's more and help pay for itself. And, you know, it's nice, you know, when you're in business, you don't really, it's hard to find someone to talk to, you know, nobody really wants to talk about it. And where do you go find that? And then you can feel comfortable finding it. Cause you know, it's, we all sign things and it's all confidential and, mm -hmm. you know, we're all, we're all held accountable for it, but it was just nice to, to go someplace and, you know, <laughs> had someone talk to me, my frustrations and my, am I crazy for doing this? Am I crazy for buying a machine? Am I crazy for expanding? Or should I, you know, that was just nice to hear another opinion that someone from the outside looking in. And I, I mean, I highly suggest doing that, to, especially if you're growing, you know, I guess another thing that taught me is if you're growing, if you try growing more than 15% a year, you're going to be out of control. So. I always tried, I always made, we always made sure we didn't get over that 15% because it, 
it can get real ugly in a hurry because you know everything your cash flow your your accounts receivable payables can all get affected and it it just kind of you know hits you right in the face like oops what did they just do <laughs> and the bank you know the banker bank part i i mean i didn't know anything about banking i i mean i didn't know much about still really don't know a lot about it but i've learned a lot because the best thing i did since 15 16 is i hired a part-time cfo yes i didn't don't need a full-time one right and a company our size but we needed i need one for one, one or two days a week just to help me out and, and he started out as a consultant and he still is a consultant but i call him my cfo because he's really he's helped he's helped me and everybody here and, and he's just a great asset great guy and and you know he's taught me so much and thankful for that you have offered several great tips i want to kind of recap some you just mentioned one you participated in a peer kind of advisory group whereas other business owners came together and you learned from each other and to some extent held each other accountable but what that did for you is that gave you an outside perspective you also mentioned though you mentioned in passing is that when you're owning a business it's hard and Often, when you get to the top of the organization, you don't have the latitude to, who do you turn to? And I'm finding in, in my coaching work, working with business owners, key leaders, it truly is lonely at the top. And having someone who can kind of help break through some of the barriers that might kind of crept in. I loved your comment about controlled growth. We all want to growth, but by Putting a little bit of a regulator on that, you have found 15% as a magic number not to exceed. But if you do outseed that, it just gets out of balance quickly. Is that a fair statement there? Yep, that's very, that's very, very clear. Yep, I should. I I see more people that got over the higher, oh, I grew 50%. And then two years later, you see them struggling and they're gone. <laughs> oh, you kind of, you kind of seen it coming. You heard that and it's just like, okay. Uh, the last thing you mentioned in rapid succession was that you have someone who kind of functions as a fractional CFO. And um, I'm seeing that quite often. I know personally two fractional CFOs and there's a niche out there, organizations that quite, they can't quite justify full-time, but they need the expertise. It's expertise beyond accounting. It might even be expertise beyond a controller but it's that strategic perspective. And so um, you've embraced it. It's been helpful to you and your business. And I'm seeing more and more companies be open to bringing in a fractional uh, CFO. Uh, I've seen that in other disciplines um, as well. You know, Matt, as, as I read your bio, I also picked up on some other things I'd like you to comment on. And that is you give back to your community. I know that you have served on a school board. I know that, that you and your company uh, invest in particularly young adults who are exploring manufacturing uh, as a profession. Um, tell me a little more about that. I can understand why that might be the case in the business you're in, but on a personal level, what have you found has been most meaningful to you as you spend time in those roles? Yeah, it's kind of my part-time job going to all the schools and talking to kids because when I was in school, I just, I was, I was heading down the wrong path 
and because no one really took me under mentorship and just hmm. the teacher just told me I was going to be a loser and be unsuccessful. And, and that, that kind of drives me still to this day. Hmm. And, you know, so I want to try to help kids, um, you know, these days, every, I mean, what's the divorce rate? 60% now in America, if not more, yes. um, broken homes, well, kids don't have dads, don't have mothers. So they're just kind of out there <laughs> and doing their own thing. And if, if you don't grab them and pull them in and show them a path to a career path or where they can get up in the morning and feel like they have a purpose, they, the, the bad things are going to happen. So those are the kids that really attract me. And, you know, once you find, show them their gifts and talents, they become so fruitful that now they're generating energy and they're, they're helping other kids and it just grows. And I mean, we have so many stories, un, you know, untold stories here that people that we brought in right off the street that, you know, can't afford to go to school, um, living at home and they're 17, 18, they don't have a parents. We brought them in here. We showed them how to get a driver's license. We showed them that we care. We showed them that they're a person. They have a gift and talent and they're a good, you know, we show them a curved path and man, they're now they're I got homes and they're getting married and thanking everybody. And, you know, <laughs> well, yeah, you know, that just, that culture just continues to develop. So, I mean. You have to get out in your community and you have to find these folks and show them because otherwise your, your, your community is going to die. Um, your schools are going to die and hurt. And, and I always tell people, I go see the superintendent and principal, you know, they're trying to hire more guidance counselors and cause you know, the COVID people, kids, but you know, bring them into an internship and that's saying, you know, I bring these kids in for tours, you know, and I try to talk them into job shadowing here and other places. So when they get out of school, they don't go waste a bunch of money in a college or a career path that they, oh, why did they do this? Let's make those decisions before they get to be seniors. And so they're on the right path and they save a bunch of money. And, you know, nowadays you can graduate high school with a college degree and a, and a high school degree, which is fabulous. And everybody wins there. And cause you know, the more money you got, you know, you're going to spend it in grocery stores. You're going to buy some stuff. You're going to buy mm -hmm. toys. So. Um, no, it's just, it drives me every day when I see here, you know, trying to help people like that. Um, I mean, you want to get satisfaction is <laughs> go help a couple of kids out of school that are going down the wrong path mm -hmm. and just see them blossom in a year or two. I mean, there's nothing more satisfying than seeing that. I you have, know, as I listen to you, it also seems to me that given how long that y'all have been in business, you're now affecting the next generation in a real way and leaving um, kind of an impact and opportunity for these folks because you believe in them. Um, yeah. uh, this is probably a, the topic for another whole podcast, but manufacturing, I think it's a bad rap. People assume things about manufacturing that's often wrong. Manufacturing can be a very rich and rewarding uh, area to work in. It's much more diverse than people realize. But by you not just sitting on, but going into these schools, giving them opportunity to see firsthand what the real world is like, um, you're making a difference. Your company's making a difference. It shows. Well, well, thank you. And you know, that's, that's what we're, that's really what my dad's purpose was. When we started MRS, you know, most people to go get a good job had to leave you know, Augusta. And, you know, we always wanted to give that opportunity so people could stay in the area. And, you know, 
living in a big city these days is a little, a little riskier than what it used to be maybe 20, 30 years ago. So people like to, you know, like to walk out their back door and take a walk in the woods or go hunting or take their four wheelers and just more nature and still have a good job and make a good living and have a successful life. That's, that's what, that's what it's all about. You know, as you reflect on this conversation, it's been kind of far ranging topics on that. What do you want to be the takeaways? You know, I, you know, if anybody's listening and they're struggling, you know, there's people out there help you. I mean, it, it, it's not, there's people out there that you don't, they won't even, you know, like me, call me up. I'll help anybody. Um, I'm not going to charge you thousands of dollars. I'm just here to help you. I want to see people succeed. That's, that's one of my goals. I'm, I'm nothing makes me more happier when someone succeeds in life and that's a success story. And then, you know, some people get jealous over it. No, that's not me. And, that, and it shouldn't be because everybody works hard and it doesn't to get to where you're at isn't like the one your instant millionaire overnight. It's, it takes hard work and people don't see that. They just see, oh, he's got a fancy home and a fancy truck and you know, everybody's done the work for him. And that's not the case. It's so many people have helped me along the way that I can, <laughs> I've had, I still have a mentor. I call up and helps me and vice versa. People call me up and I help them. So it's just, you reap what you sow. So if you do good to others, they'll do good to you. And that's what I tell kids every day. Another thing I tell people when they go to the gas station or the grocery store, just say hello, mm-hmm. have a good day. And you know, it, it, well, you might've just changed someone's life. <laughs> you don't know, but I can tell you, if you start doing that in about a week or two of your time, you're going to start seeing people. You're going to be happier. People around you are going to be happier because you, you know, it just, it, it grows on you. Trust me. <laughs> um, so just. I guess that's what, that's all I can, that's, I hope that answered that question. I think it, it answered it very, very well. If folks want to take you up on that offer and they want to reach out to connect with you, what's the best way for them to do that? Um, you know, I'm, I'm on a lot of the social media platforms through LinkedIn. If you just type up Matthew Goosey, you can get me there. Um, MRS Machining in Augusta, you can look up my website, you know, Mrs. isn't too hard to remember. And just call the front desk. I know we don't have voicemail here. Um, if someone's calling here, they, they want an answer. They don't want to talk to a voice machine or, so I'll get the message. You know, I don't, some days I'm not always here, but someday I'll make the, make them attempt to get back there either one way or form. So let me clarify for those who are listening. It's Matt Goosey, G-U-S-E. The name of their company is MRS Machining. And he mentioned Augusta. That's Augusta, Wisconsin. You know, that being said, Matt, you clearly do walk the talk. Thank you for sharing your wisdom with us today. Well, thanks for having me on. I've always loved telling the story. And like I said, if I can help somebody get better, that's, that's what I'm all about. Well, it clearly show. Um, I also want to thank our listeners for joining us today. If you'd like to subscribe to this podcast, you can just go to your browser and type in unstuck.show. While you're there, if you like, you can also subscribe to our weekly management blog that we call The Bottom Line. So if you've been listening and you realize, trying to grow my business, but the people problems have slowed me down, let's talk. Head over to bench-builders.com and schedule a call. I'd love to speak with you. So I want to thank you for joining us. And I hope you have picked up on some tips from Matt that will help you get unstuck and on target. Until next time.